The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Luke chapter 15. We will once, this, this morning, we will once again be looking at the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, the verses 1 to 24, after which we'll focus on our text, the verses 25 to 32. For those of you who were here last week, you may remember the context. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus has been invited to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. So he's been invited to a meal, uh, a, a feast of sorts, and there are all these other Pharisees around, and there are crowds pressing in on the door to see Jesus and to hear him speak. Luke chapter 15, which you'll be able to find on page 1203 of your pew Bible. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have lost, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to be merry. And here we come to our text for today. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, If you've ever seen pictures of ancient biblical manuscripts, you'll have noticed that on the faded papers, crumbling to pieces, there's no heading on the text. The headings that we find over passages of Scripture in many of our Bibles today were added there by those who translated our Bibles and wanted to break it down into sections that were easy to read. And they summarized these sections with one line that they put at the top. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It can be very helpful, actually. But what it sometimes does is redirect our attention away from one passage in favor of another. Our passage today is one example of that. Many Bible translations will have this parable labeled as that of the prodigal son. And it's true, this son does take up much of the parable. Verses 11 to 24 tell us of his sad fall, his time spent in the darkest depths, and then his realization of what exactly he was doing. And this ends with an amazing show of grace. It ends with his restoration to his position as son and the joy that followed. But the parable doesn't end here because this parable isn't primarily meant for those who see themselves as sinners. Rather, the focus of this parable is directed towards a different group. Now, if you're familiar with the context of Luke 14, you'll know that Jesus is at a Sabbath meal hosted by a Pharisee right now. These Pharisees held sinners, those who they saw as great sinners, at a distance, and they grumbled when those sinners pressed, the cl- the pressed closer than anyone else in the doorway where our Lord was being hosted. And so the Lord told them three parables. The first two parables spoke for themselves. A lost sheep, what is lost and was precious, is found again, and there's rejoicing. In the same way, there's rejoicing in heaven when a lost sinner is found, he teaches. Second, a lost coin, what was lost and was precious, is found again. 
In the same way, there's rejoicing in heaven when one lost sinner is found. But then Jesus Christ puts a face to it. It's easy to know things theologically, to know about grace, about repentance and about forgiveness and redemption. It's easy to know this, to grasp these ideas with your mind, but can you deal with it when it's more than just a concept? Can you deal with it when there's a face to it? And so Jesus Christ tells the Pharisees the parable of the prodigal son. And it brings joy to those sinners who are crowded in, pressing in at the doorway. It describes exactly the way that God deals with those believers who are truly repentant, no matter how far they have fallen, and what hope and joy it offers them. But the parable of Jesus Christ goes on. And here it becomes obvious who Jesus is speaking to, first and foremost. He's not speaking to the crowd. Rather, he's using this moment, he's using this parable to open the eyes of the Pharisees who are hosting him. Just as he used the first half of this third parable to apply the truths that he gave in the first two, to put a face to these ideas, these concepts that he's laid out. He now drives it home for his main audience the Pharisees. And so today we will see Jesus introduces us to the second son. We'll see first of all his faithful work in the field, then his rejection of his brother, and finally his father's gentle rebuke. The opening words of our passage show us how different this second son is from the first. Where the first son was reckless and was someone who would very quickly and easily spend money the second son faithfully worked. Where the first son threw things away in parties and wild living, it seems the second son didn't party much at all. See verse 29. Perhaps that was not of his own accord, but at least he abided by the will of his father. And now where the second son is only coming home after a long absence and is being welcomed with a celebration, the first son is coming back from a much shorter time away, having spent a day in the field. Now, beloved, if you compare the two, is this not the son that you would be more inclined to connect with? Some of you may have had a rockier time through your teenage years, but not too many of you have gone off the deep end in the same way that this prodigal son did. Is this not the son whose life speaks the most clearly to us? This was certainly the case for the Pharisees. They were faithful. They worked hard to train themselves in the knowledge of the law and the rituals of worship. Just as many of us here today were raised in Christian homes from a very young age and were taught the teachings of the Bible throughout that time, so too were they. We're not too different, the Pharisees and we ourselves. They saw themselves as conservative and faithful to doctrine, being the moral compass of the nation. 
How often don't we put ourselves into that same category? The description of the son being in the field shows his devotion to his work. And it shows his desire for his father's house to succeed. It shows his care for the future as well. Don't forget the younger son had already taken his portion of the inheritance, so all that was left was for the older son. He was also very obedient to his own father, if his own words are to be believed. We read in verse 29, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. I never once rebelled against you, Dad. He knew the pain that his father had suffered. He knew the grief that had been caused him. And he was determined to be different from his brother. But should being different, being better, have been his motivation? This son was so focused on being good and doing things right that he had lost sight of why he was striving to be faithful. Pay special attention to this because if it applies to the Pharisees, then it likely applies to you and me today as well. Jesus Christ was pointing out that this young son had lost the sight of why he was doing what he was doing. He wasn't doing it first and foremost to please his father. But this young son was looking for a reward. Just as his younger brother, this son was looking ahead for a payout. He was looking for the benefits that his service would offer him. His brother may have wanted instant gratification compared with this older brother's more delayed gratification, but it was still true. His faithful work in the field was, in his response, revealed to be little more, little different from his brother's before his younger brother repented. And it's seeing his brother receive that reward of instant gratification, his brother being able to go out and enjoy himself to his heart's content, and now be restored to his position at his father's side as son that enraged this younger brother. Why? Because it made all of his planning and his hard work, his looking to the long term, seem pointless. Why hold off if you could take it now, enjoy it immediately, and then be returned to the exact same relationship with your father as you had before? Hearing that his brother repented, hearing that his, how, how deeply his brother had been lost, and how his brother had repented and turned back made no difference to him. It's the fact that his brother was able to take what he wanted and is now accepted back again with open arms and a fatted calf, a real feast that makes him so sickened that he doesn't even want to enter back into his own home. His father's having the wool pulled over his eyes, he thinks. He doesn't want to be under the same roof as that sinner. And this brings us to our second point. Our 
On hearing that the older brother is standing outside, the father doesn't just order him to come in, but the father comes out to meet his son. This is a beautiful picture, and it's a picture of the love that Jesus Christ is showing the Pharisees here today. The crowds outside, filled with desperately lost people, flocking to hear his words of grace and forgiveness, were being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven with rejoicing. They were being welcomed in because they were truly repenting. But the Pharisees, they were standing outside. They were holding off from the kingdom of heaven. They were holding off from coming to Jesus. They were the stubborn and angry older brother. And here Jesus Christ is working to tie in the warning that he gave at this very same party just in a chapter before. In chapter 14, the verses 15 to 24, he speaks about those who are invited into the kingdom of heaven and those who refuse to come in. And they give excuses one after another why they can't make it. And in the final verses there, he says, Then the master said to his servant, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel those to come in. The rabble, the people off the street corner, those who are impoverished, those who are living in the gutter. Compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. In a gentle and loving way, Jesus is really and truly warning them. He warns them with the warmth and the love of a father who sees both as his sons. And he wants his older son to enjoy the blessings that were poured out on the younger son, rejoicing in his return and embracing him as the family was made whole again. The older son, on the other hand, wants nothing to do with it. He digs in his heels. You'll notice he doesn't even want to call this son his brother. His father may have accepted him back again. His father may have restored him to his position, but he certainly won't accept him. This is not his brother. This is this son of yours. And in response to his father's acceptance of his brother, he instead immediately contrasts his own life with his brother's. He says, look to see where I am. Look to see what I've done. Should you not hold me in much higher esteem than my brother? Why are you celebrating my brother in this way? This other son should have worked like him. He should have been devoted like him. He should have had a long-term goal for the growth of his family's estate like him. He should have shouldered his own responsibilities. He should have been like him. Beloved, do you look at the Christians around you and expect them to be like you? Perhaps it's looking at the wild life that they once led, the decisions that they've made in the past. 
Perhaps it's even the fact that they are stumbling from time to time again here, even in the present. Even if they are looking for the grace of Jesus Christ, humbly turning in repentance to him at this moment in time, even if they are already beginning on that road of sanctification, that road of God's work in them to make them clean by the Holy Spirit, is this enough for you? Do they need to be like you and to think like you and to have the same values as you right here and right now? Do you look at the Christians around you and expect them to be like you? Do you accept that this brother or sister in Christ may not have been as far down that road of sanctification? Ought not the very fact that they are on that road at all, having turned to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, be reason enough for rejoicing? Now, this doesn't mean that we don't hold them accountable, don't get me wrong. But do we give them the grace to grow from where they are at that point in time? Now, as gentle as this father's call for his son to come in and rejoice at his brother's return was, as gentle as Jesus' call for the Pharisees to repent from the way that they looked at their fellow Israelites who were repenting and coming to Jesus Christ was, it was also a warning. This son did not see those brother Israelites who were just beginning on the road to sanctification, having repented and been called, they did not see them as brothers. This son was not part of the celebration. This older son, he stood outside his father's home. And before we get into the final two verses of this parable in full, I want you to notice how this parable ends. It doesn't end with the son coming in. Because this is where the Pharisees are in Jesus' life at that moment in time. They are on the edge. And the question that's placed before them is, will they repent of their refusal to recognize the fact that God will even extend His grace to their fallen fellow Israelites? Will they recognize them as brothers? Or will they find excuse after excuse, elevating themselves above these and never enter in? Because if they do continue to find excuses for their anger, excuses for their bitterness and pride to remain between them and their brothers and sisters in Israel, they themselves will not enter in. We read in 1 John 3, verse 14 to 15, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so this was a very real warning for those who rejected their brothers and sisters in Christ. The Pharisees were balancing on a knife's edge. Did they truly love their Israelite brothers and sisters? Would they welcome them with repentance and joy? 
Or would they show that they hated them? And would they remain outside of the Father's home forever? Would they, by their hate and rejection of their brothers, their brethren, be forever outside the joy of their Father? And this brings us to our third point. The father of the two boys then says the following. Son, you are always with me. There is nothing here that has changed for the older son. He belongs to his father. His position as his father's son has not changed simply because the younger son has come back into the picture. The love his father has for him is not lessened in in any way because this son has entered into the picture. So why should he question the goodness of his father? And he goes on to say, all that I have is yours. Now at this point you might be thinking, wait a minute, didn't you say the Pharisees were on a knife's edge? That they would lose everything if they continued to hate their brother? How can you say the statement of the Father is genuine if that's the case? Jesus was making a point here. As descendants of their forefather Abraham, the father of their nation, these promises were genuinely true for the Israelites on national scale. All of the promises which God had given to his people were theirs, but they were theirs on a covenant, covenantal scale. And every covenant had a promise and an obligation. If they rejected God and they refused to follow him, they were showing that they were not truly part of the people of God. As Paul later wrote in Romans 9, it showed that not all Israel was Israel, meaning that not all the individuals were members of the people of God simply on the basis of having inherited it. If you live in rebellion, you are proving to the world that you were not a true child of God. Now, the older brother represented a group of people. He represented some who obeyed and some who did not. For those who did embrace the covenant blessings, who loved the law of God and who loved God himself and who didn't want to grieve God but instead sought to serve him and serve each other, those brothers and sisters around them in love, these were true members of the people of God. And for them, this promise was genuine and true. This promise, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours, is genuine and true. We can see that in the Pharisees who later did convert. The famous apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is the most prominent of them. But the other Pharisees also converted and came to be followers of Jesus Christ. As we know from Acts 15, verse 5. And for them, as true believers, all that Christ had obtained belonged to them and would always belong to them. However, Jesus was saying to them in a loving way here that the way they were thinking and acting now showed that they too had a long ways to go down the road of sanctification. And he was teaching them the grace which was shown to those who have wandered and repented by by their loving Father in heaven. He punctuates this teaching of his with the final words of our passage. 
It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It was Christ's end goal of his time on earth to bring these who are dead to be alive again, who find those who are lost. We can read this in the story of Zacchaeus, the sinner and tax collector, later in Luke 19, verse 9 to 10, expressing the same thought. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. And Jesus is teaching the Pharisees when he accomplishes this goal within them. He's teaching us today when he accomplishes this goal within us and within those around. This is a reason for rejoicing. The church is a place for sinners. The church is a place for those who recognize their sin and are truly repentant. This is a good thing because we're not perfect. Each of us are sinners desperately in need of grace. Although some of us may perhaps be in need of that grace in a slightly different way from those who have fallen off the deep end. For those of you who perhaps don't feel like you don't fit in, you do have a place here. You do have a place among those who wear suits and ties. You have a place among those who seem to have their lives together. You have your place among those moms who seem to be doing life better than you and those dads who seem to be much better and godlier fathers than you and your peers who seem to be more spiritual than you. Because in repenting and turning to Christ, you have found that you too are bought by his blood. You belong in Bible study with them. You belong in worship alongside of them. You are not the odd one out because you and they stand on the same footing. Sinners who have received the amazing grace of God through Jesus Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And in Christ, we are equally forgiven. You may look different. You may feel different. And you may have a different accent, culture, or way you are raised. But you belong. You may feel completely unique from everyone else because of your circumstance or your condition or any other reason, but in Christ, you belong. You are a brother or sister in Christ. And that's the beautiful truth that's found in the final phrase of Christ's parable. The older son had refused to recognize the younger son as anything else than simply your son, the son of the father. But with gentle insistence, the father names him your brother again. Your brother was dead and is alive again. Your brother was lost and now is found. Beloved, let us rejoice in the grace that God extends to us. The grace that God extends to us in reaching out to those who are lost, reaching out to those who have wandered, reaching out to those who have fallen. But let, him, let us equally praise God for the grace that he extends to all of us each and every day, recognizing that all of us are sinners deeply in need of a Savior, that all of us are being invited together through Christ to enter into the joy of our Father's glory. 
And so let us open our arms to these brothers and sisters who are on the edges. Let us make them feel welcome among us as we strive to further glorify God in our Bible study, in our devotions, in our day-to-day actions. And for those of us who do feel on the edge, let us not hang back feeling threatened or judged because we stand on the same ground as those brothers and sisters around us. No matter what the older brother had said with regards to the younger brother, this son of yours, he is still the brother. He is still the son of his heavenly father. He still belongs to him and his heavenly father loves him. Let us rejoice that God extends this grace to us because all of us are equal recipients of it. And let us use this time to fix our eyes on Jesus all the more as we travel through life because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen.